enjoyed it, and I hope that it's been encouraging, challenging, that our love, we've been called to love on another plane. Right. And as we said, we started out, we looked at what are commonly referred to. I, they're not mine. I didn't invent them. I didn't discover them. Uh, but I, I really believe they're, they're Bible-based, and that's these five love languages. And we had everyone, you took a, took a test and discovered what it is, and, and this is how you experience and you express love. And for some, it's, it's different. For mine, mine's acts of service. My wife's is quality time and words of affirmation. Mine's acts of service and gift giving. And, you know, we just have completely opposite ones. Words of affirmation's real low on the list for me. And some people, you have to tell them, you have to affirm your love to them, and they want to hear it, and they affirm your love to you. And my kids, they're real big about words of affirmation. You know, did a good job. I love you. A lot of that. And uh, there was a song uh, some time ago. It was a, a, a ballad or something, one of those 80s ballads. And I just remember hearing it, and it was uh, more than words. And that's what love is to me. It's more than words. And, and so as we've looked at all of this study and looked at all the different aspects of love, and recently we dealt with communication. We have to communicate and love to one another. And you're going to use your words to communicate with one another. And you're going to have to learn new ways of saying things, new ways of doing things. And then most recently, we looked at what the Bible says about love and sex, and it's pretty clear. It's pretty, pretty upfront about it. And I want to look this, this morning as we begin to close on this, excuse me, this study, that love demands some things, and it has an ultimate demand here in Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48. Jesus speaking here, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And all throughout this fifth chapter, Christ is setting the record straight. If you notice here in verse 43, He says, Ye have heard that it hath been said. Well, there's a whole lot of things they had heard. And then Christ would say, You've heard this, now let me tell you the truth. And in Matthew 5.43 Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now I want to stop reading there for just a minute. And I want you to look here that Christ is he's setting the record straight. You've heard some stuff, but what you've heard is not correct. And so, I'm going to tell you what the Bible really says. See, remember, there were the scribes and the Pharisees, and the scribes had recorded the Word of God over and over again, and the Pharisees, they were kind of the ones who wrote all the commentaries. 
And they were the ones that said, well, this is what God means. And they had gotten to the point where they had said, well, we're to love our neighbors, we're to love the Israelites, but we're to hate all these others. I looked up the word hate. You know, God never told Israel to hate anybody else. He said, there's some people who are going to hate you. But he never told Israel, you hate this person here. Look over in Leviticus chapter 19 for just a minute. Leviticus chapter 19. At least I couldn't find it with the search engine I was using, if he did. Leviticus 19, and if you would, verse 18. Here's a passage of Scripture here. And it says, Leviticus 19, 18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, meaning the Israelites. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And so the word neighbor simply means another person. It's not like we use today. We say, oh, well, this is my neighbor, meaning they live next door to me. It simply means another person. And they had inferred, incorrectly I might add, that all they had to do was love fellow Jews and they could despise. They, they despised the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. Half-Jews, half-non-Jews. They despised the publicans because they considered them to be traitors. And so Christ here comes and He corrects things. You know, there's some different sayings today that people have that aren't biblical. You know, a lot of people say, well, God helps those who helps themselves. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. There's a whole lot of things that people think are in the Bible, and they're not. And you look here at our text, and I want you to observe this and look. In, in Matthew 5 and verse 44, he says, But I send you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Well, who are the enemies? Well, I think he gives us a description of an enemy. It's someone who curses you. Someone who hates you. Someone who despitefully uses you and persecutes you. That's an enemy. And so when we think about who our enemies are, who are those who are contrary to us? The word enemy literally means one filled with hate. Christ says, I want you to love them. I want you to have this agape love for them. The same love that Christ had at Calvary. The same love that John 3.16 records. The same love that the Bible tells us about that God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That love. He says, I want you to have that love for your enemies. This is a... It's an easy thing to love loved ones, kinfolk, family, friends when they treat you well, isn't it? 
You know, when, when you do what I tell you to do, it's easy to love you, isn't it? But when you disobey me, let alone when you, or you disappoint me, let alone when you curse me, despitefully use me, when you hate me, isn't our response to do in turn, to, re, to re, return back? Oh, you're going to curse me? I'll curse you. Oh, you're going to hate me? I'll hate you more. Oh, you're going to use me and persecute me? I'll use you like you ain't never seen. That's the natural response. But if you look further down, Christ says, I want you to love your enemies. Now notice verse 45. Here's one of the reasons why. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. See, a lot of people want to look at outward things and say, Oh look, this person, they're loved of God. They're blessed because God has blessed them with this. The Bible says God reigns on the just and the unjust. The Bible says the sun rises on the good as well as the wicked or evil. You see, it rains on the field of a righteous man just as it rains on the field of an unrighteous man. And so what Jesus says is, you cannot tell that someone is saved or a child of the Father based on outward prosperity. He says it can't be done. People look around and say, oh, this person's blessed. Well, I'm, I'm sure that they are blessed of God. But that does not make them a child of the Father. There's a rich man in hell right now. He's still there to this day. And his counterpart was a man by the name of Lazarus who begged for crumbs from the table of the rich man. Now, nobody would willingly look at the rich man and say, oh, well, he was cursed of God. And nobody would look at Lazarus and say, oh, well, he was blessed of God. He was a beggar. But that rich man who the sun rose on, who it rained on his fields, he went to hell, he died, he went to hell, he's still there. Lazarus, he died, and the Bible says that he was carried in Abraham's bosom. So outward appearances are deceptive, aren't they? And so God says, this is how it will be known, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Here's how it's known. Here's how you'll know. Here's how others know. It's how you love. See, the, all, the problem is, is we're fair weather lovers. We love people when the season's good. I mean, we're, it's like root for your favorite team. Oh man, I've, I've been, I'm just a fan. They're awesome, they're amazing. And then when they're terrible, oh, I, I didn't root for them. I'm not a fan of them. 
I grew up, I was an Atlanta Braves fan, and they, they used to lose a lot. I mean a lot. And then they started winning. And you know, people, oh, you weren't a Braves fan. Oh, yes, I was. But that's the way we are when it comes to our love. You get across ways with your spouse, maybe cross with your parents, children, or siblings, and pretty soon you don't love them. Pretty soon you're cursing them, you're hating them, you're despising them. All because you got crossways with one another. Sometimes that happens with brethren in Christ. But here the Bible tells us that we are to love those who are hostile towards us. Church disciplines a church member. You still love them. That's why you disciplined them. But it is to love one who has who is an adversary. One of the renderings of this word enemy is a foe. A foe, F O E. A man's foes shall be they of his own household. Matthew 10:36. Now Christ tells us we're to love them and he says here's three ways in which you are to love your enemies. This is love's ultimate demand. And Christ, He did this perfectly. Think about Christ and and all that He did while He was here on this earth, the three and a half years of His ministry, the hours on the tree of the cross, and all that He has done. He loved us perfectly. And the Bible says we were enemies. Now I want you to observe here, He instructs us to first of all, verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. So they're cursing you, and our natural tendency is to curse them back. But God says, I want you to bless them. I want you to speak favor toward them. Then he tells us, I want you to do good to them that hate you. Do good to them. Do good to them. Can I just leave them alone? Can I be neutral toward them? He says, no, I want you to do good to them. Have you ever had somebody curse you? I'm not talking about foul language necessarily. But I mean, where they, they, I mean, where they are like calling upon God to rain down brimstone and fire on you. Like, where they're wanting horrible things to happen to you. And then as well, them that hate you, who oppose you. He says, you do good to them. And then the last one, he says in verse 44, and, and, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them. Hold them up before God's throne of grace. Don't pray to God about them. Pray for them.
That's really the opposite of what we do sometimes, isn't it? That's sometimes the opposite of what we do in our church member relationship. That's sometimes the opposite of what we do in our spousal relationship. That's sometimes what we do the opposite in our sibling relationships. But here's what Christ says to do. You talk about having a renewed mind. You talk about thinking differently since God saved you. This is it. Look over, if you would, in the book of Acts, chapter 7. Give you an example. Here's a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen was a deacon, and he was out discipling, evangelizing, missionarying. He was fishing for men. And they caught a hold of him. And they bound him up and, and they brought him before the council and they, he begins to, to give him a history lesson of the history of Israel. And he ends up preaching Christ unto them. And in Acts 7 verse 54, I want to read here, Acts 7 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart And they gnashed on him with their teeth, but he being full of the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus, excuse me, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen. Now notice, what are they doing? They're persecuting him, aren't they? And they're going to martyr him. And the Bible says, Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, if that's not praying for them that are persecuting you, I don't know what is. And where did he get that from? Well, a little ways before this, in the Gospel of Luke, You have Christ Jesus hanging on the tree of the cross. And He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now this is Stephen. And now, how how did he do this? Because I'll be honest with you, this is not my natural tendency, and I'll I'll give you a hint, it's not your natural tendency either. How is it that Stephen, how is it that countless other Baptists and, and Christians, how is it that over the course of the history of the church age that they have prayed for those who persecuted them? 
And we have countless, just, just time and again, where even those who, who were ordered and killed them were then converted. Were then saved. Here's one. A fellow by the name of Saul. Saul Tarsus. Who became the Apostle Paul when the Lord saved him. Persecuted the church. Was injurious toward it. How is it that Stephen didn't bow up, didn't begin to fight him? How is it? How is it that he loved those men who were stoning him, taking big rocks like this big, picking them up over their heads and throwing them down, trying to crush his bones and crush his skull? How did he love them? Well, let's look, if you would. First of all, again, this is that agape love. Look over in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And remember, we said some, some weeks ago, when it comes to this kind of love, you're not going to try harder and produce it. Oh, I'm, I'm really going to buckle down. I'm going to try harder and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to produce this supernatural, spiritual, God-heaven-sent love. Remember, all we ever produce are Ishmael's. We're not going to produce an Isaac. In Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21... It says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like. Now, did you read the word love in there at all? Because I didn't. Do you know what Stephen could have done if he would have leaned on the arm of the flesh? He could have came out swinging. He could have picked up a rock. And he could have killed one of those other men. That's what we do naturally. But if you look in the next verse, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And remember, fruit comes from what? Comes, you know, tree wise, it comes from a tree. There's a mulberry tree out back. You know what it it produces? Mulberries. It doesn't produce apples. It doesn't produce nuts because it's a mulberry tree. Only a mulberry tree can produce mulberries. Only the Spirit of God can produce this love. Only Him. It's His fruit. We're not going to sit down one day and say, you know what, if I'm going to really focus here and I'm going to, I'm going to, make, I'm going to make love, I'm going to produce love. No more than a man is going to have a baby. It's impossible because it's the fruit of the Spirit. So how did Stephen do this? Well, let's turn back to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And let's read here 
Beginning at verse 1, just want to read a few verses before we close. How is it that I fulfill love's ultimate demand? Well, Acts 6, verse 1, In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. Here's one of the requirements. That would be honest report, number two, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. Look down in verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia disputing with Stephen and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Do you know how Stephen was able to love those as they were casting stones down and pray to God through Jesus Christ that God would not lay this sin to their charge? He was full of the Holy Spirit of God. That's how. He was filled with the Spirit. He was under control of the Spirit of God. He wasn't in self-control. You know, the Bible says, Be ye not filled with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit of God. Well, he was filled with the Spirit of God. When you're filled with wine, when you're drunk, you don't have any control over yourself. Well, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're under His control. And He will produce love. And that love, oh, He loved His enemies. So do we love our enemies? Do we pray for them? Do we pray for those that despitefully use us in our workplaces? Do we pray for those that persecute us? See, when we really think about it, are we actually loving and demonstrating the love of God? You know, a lot of people, they take one weekend a year and they might go do something. They might go, oh, oh, there's a hurricane and this happened and let's go out there and we'll cut some trees down and that'll show them the love of Christ. Okay. Have you done good to them that hate you? See, that's, that's, that's the agape love. That's Christ on Calvary loving me who despised Him. Who was among those who said, crucify Him, crucify Him. 
We will not have this man to reign over us. Release unto me Barabbas. That was our cry. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, it's real easy to love you, to love one another when we're all getting along and everything's going well and people are doing what I think they ought to be doing. But that's not the test. The test is when they hate you, when they persecute you, when they use you, when they're cursing you. What is our response? And the only way that I or you or any of us will ever be able to respond this way is if we are filled with the Spirit. If we are under the Spirit's control. Yielding to Him. And I think what Brother Crowder preached on in the previous message deals a lot with submitting to God. Walking by faith following the Lord, pursuing after things that are spiritual and not things that are temporal and carnal of this world. That's the life. A life of submitting unto God, unto Christ, and unto the Spirit of God. That's the life we're to have. So that's our work. That'll that'll separate in a world today of absolute just Hatred. Hatred. It's downright hatred. People hate everything. They hate themselves. They hate God. There is so much anti-God in this world. It is literally Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? It is so much Psalm 2. I would encourage you to read that and study that Psalm out. It is so predominant today. They hate Christ. And they hate you. Say, oh, well, people don't hate me. I mean this with all sincerity. If I lived like I should, they'd want to burn me in a fiery furnace with the three Hebrew children. And they'd want to cast me in a den of lions. And they'd want to sell me to some Ishmaelites like Joseph. And they'd want to hang me like Mordecai. That's that really is another sermon. We've gotten so comfortable with just getting by and scraping by and flying below the radar. Well, one of these days, and it's coming fast, not going to be able to do that. Either going to have to side with Christ or deny him. But to love our enemies, That is an ultimate demand. Christ did it. You read there in Romans 5 verse 8. We were enemies. The Bible says we were reconciled unto Him 
through the blood of his cross. We were brought into fellowship. We were enemies. We were like a husband and a wife who they're bickering, they're fighting all the time. We were adversaries. That's why people, they get divorced. It says irreconcilable differences. They couldn't get together. And God says, I'm going to reconcile you unto myself. I'm going to do all the work. And I'm going to bring you into a relationship with me. And we're going to be back into fellowship. We were enemies, but I'm going to do it. And how did he do it? With love. Unconditional love. And if our love is agape love, if it's fruit of the Spirit love, guess what? It's not based on conditions. So no matter what anybody does, it's not going to change it. That's how Stephen could pray this prayer is because his love for Saul of Tarsus and these other Jews was not based on them. It was based on God. It was based on Christ. And it was of the fruit of the Spirit of God who filled him and dwelled within him. If you're here and you're saved, we have got to be filled with the Spirit. We've got to be under his possession. If you're here and you're without Christ, you need to come to him that you might be saved. While it's called today, we pray that God would forgive you. Don't delay anymore. But come unto him that you might be saved. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Remember, service is Wednesday, 10.30 for prayer band, 11 o'clock preaching service. And then a week from today...